Uh, good morning, Mr. Rabbi. Good morning. <laughs> I have this vision that you're just laying in your bed right now, just chilling, um, and because you just had that nice early morning voice on you. Um, mm. So, 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 where are you, and why are you, and what are you doing? So, I am. Uh, I am retreating to one of my children's bedrooms. So, ladies and gentlemen, when you when you hear a priest and a rabbi podcast, and you just picture our beautiful rabbi in his daughter's bedroom. <laughs> Just chilling on a bunk bed, or where were you at? Uh, <laughs> this is radio; you can't can't see it. But we're no, trying to, my, we're, we're, try, we're trying to get a vision for everyone, man. No, no, I you am, tell I am, me. I am, you tell I am me. In, I am in what used to be my study, uh, then got converted to one of my kids' bedrooms, which then got reconverted back to a study. Oh, okay, awesome. Thank you. Now we have a vision. Now we know. Uh, well, happy Juneteenth to you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so uh, we, we are continuing this 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 talk and this work uh, on this podcast of racial reconciliation and racial justice, and looking through a through a Judeo uh, Christian lens. Uh, we try to bring on guests who uh, who who always know a lot more than us, and so I think we succeeded once again in doing that today. Um, so out out in Harlem, part of the Episcopal Church is the. Uh, the, the Reverend Canon Dr. Uh, Stephanie Spellers, who does a, a fantastic work for the Episcopal Church uh, in a lot of departments, but, but one of them is is in reconciliation. So uh, I know for you, um, I, or at least for me, when we talk about the movement that's happening that we can call Black Lives Matter, right? That that uh, that sometimes I don't know for you, but for me and my congregation, it sometimes is a loaded gun. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has to be parsed out and we have to talk about it um, because there can be multiple narratives floating around. Um, and so that's a place to start because it's, it's, a, it, it's sort of a, the rallying cry right now for all of us to get behind. Um, and I think theologically it, it works well, it makes sense. Um, so wait a minute, I, I think she might be at the door right now. Hello. It's funny because I'm, I'm hearing it at my door. Oh, okay. Well, so Reverend Reverend Stephanie, is that you? Hello, hello. <laughs> yeah, there she is. There she Am is. I in Florida? What? You see, <laughs> like Toto, it just works just like that. And so, <laughs> welcome to the show and to the podcast. Are you Are you ready for this next hour? Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I love these conversations. It's 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 a part of what's so exhilarating in this time is everybody wants to talk, and then do something. Yes. So that's going to be the key. How do we talk and then can sustain the doing of something? Amen. Amen. Yes. So let's get ready to roll. So Reverend uh, Stephanie's with us. Uh, the rabbi is chilling in his daughter's room and I'm just somewhere just trying, trying to keep my head above water. So let's get ready to roll on another episode of, of a priest and a rabbi with uh, Reverend, uh, Reverend Stephanie Spellers. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the program hosts and their guests and are not necessarily those of WSTU, St. Mary's Episcopal Church, and Temple Bait Hyam. Products that may be mentioned are not necessarily intended as an endorsement. Any reproduction or retransmission of this broadcast is strictly prohibited. And now, WSTU presents a priest and a rabbi. Call in with questions and comments at 220-9788, 220-WSTU. Now, here's your host. 
Well, good morning, everybody here in Stewart, Florida. My name is uh, Father Christian Anderson here at a priest and a rabbi. And next to me, well, digitally next to me is the most handsome rabbi you have seen this side of the Jordan River. It is my brother, Rabbi Matthew Durbin over at Temple Beth Hayam. How are you, man? What's going on? Doing really well. How are you? Uh, I asked you first. How's the fatherhood treating you? Uh, you know, it's, it, it's well. He, he, he clocked six hours the other night. So that, that's a big step. It's a big step in, in, mm. in our movement as parents. When your your two month old starts clocking six weeks of uh, six uh, hours of sleep, so um, it's big. How about you, brother, with your three girls? Uh, well, yeah, we're we're clocking six hours. See, that's good, man. There was times when they weren't clocking any hours. You come into the radio studio looking like you know you were up all night at a Phi Delta Phi party or something. Sure. And what about you? Are you getting sleep? Yeah. Yeah, for the most part, you know, I mean, my, my wife is the one who's really carrying the load. I mean, she's, she, even if the kids sleep, she's got to wake up, she's got to feed, you know, she's got to wake mm -hmm. up, she's got to feed. So it's, it's a different story. So I, I feel guilty even commenting. I mean, I think she's the one you really need to talk to. She's been the warrior. So uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just the personal assistant, you know what I'm saying? So, so yeah, man, our continue continues to, uh, our world continues to turn and it gets uh, uh, more and more rambunctious and more provocative for us as ministers to try to process everything that's happening um, and to help uh, try to lead a flock uh, during this time. Um, how, how, how's the temperature over at the temple right now with everything that's going on from all the different pandemics we're dealing with? You know, it, it's, it's, it, it's, it's definitely difficult. Um, you know, we've we've like many synagogues and many communities, we've we've uh, brought together a uh, reopening, re-steering committee, rephasing committee, kind of looking at when we can safely open. Um, but yeah, with the coronavirus and now with you know um, uh, violence and police brutality and giving people the dignity and the respect that they deserve, uh, that coupled with you know going to get right into the throes of hurricane season and. Is there anything else that can be thrown this way? <laughs> That's right. Thank you for reminding me that hurricane season is now officially here. Um, so here we are. Uh, you know, so one thing we, we, we talk about, we like to go right at the hot topics here on the show. And today uh, we want to really parse out more of the term that has been the rallying cry and um, uh, for a while, but now recently for, I guess, all of America, uh, it has become sort of the uh, the branded term of the movement, which is Black Lives Matter. And depending where you're at in the country, that can people can have different uh, reactions and res responses to that term. Uh, so I don't know about you, but like I, I can say it around people um, in my community, and some people might cringe, some people might be like, fantastic, this is great. It sums up everything that's going on in my heart. Where, do, where can I go? Where can I march? Mm -hmm. Where can I protest? Um, but it, it's, it's, it's not like that for everyone, right? It's not like that for everyone. Mm -hmm. and, and so as... You know, as ministers, we're, 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 we're trying, you know, as clerics to, to galvanize our flock, to be healing agents in this world, uh, to fight the good fight. And this is, this, is a, this is a, yes, it's an organization, but it's also really just like a, a it is the, the slogan, it's a rallying cry that for, for America. Um, but it can also be a, a, a roadblock for some people. Um, I know if I've experienced it. Have you experienced that struggle? I mean, I think, I think, I think, you know, the ways in which it it's received, I think, can be can be challenging, can be very different. I think if we take it as 
Black Lives Matter, not as an organization, but as a movement that galvanizes people to come together to stand up for racial injustice. I think that that's a different model than, you know, an organization that is there lobbying and trying to make a difference and an impact. I think that then renders it in some degree political. But I think if we take it from the general understanding that it's an uprising of people who say, uh, treat everyone with equality and integrity and dignity and respect. And, you know, we, we, we just want a, a balanced world where everyone is, 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 is treated equally. I mean, go back to the Bible. God created man and woman equal. Um, you know, there was no race distinctions. There was no, I, 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 I think if we, if we, if we approach it from a, um, strong movement towards change but of course the flip side is you also have um you know a, a national if not international organization yeah so there's 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 the two that's there and there'll be criticism on the organization and you know I, I, there's there's a lot of this is this is what bothers me about all this and we're, our, our guest today is amazing so this is why we're gonna bring around but what 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 bothers me is, is that throughout the history of america anytime there's been a powerful strong leading leader or movement, it seems like there's always going to be a way to try to, to to take its feet out underneath it and not let just let it be. You know, whether it was James Baldwin, Marcus Garvey, Martin Luther King, uh, Barack Obama with the birth certificate thing. That there's always this way of like, how can we try to 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 decertify this thing? And I, I'm seeing this right now also with Black Lives Matter. Um, so terms that are being said about it. Uh, that it's an anarchist movement, it is a fascist movement. If I go on the website, I see nothing, nothing about that, you know, uh, more of a humanitarian movement. So, uh, but again, what like we like to do in the show is bring up people who are much smarter than, than we are um, to talk about these things. So today we have the honor of having uh, the Reverend Canon Dr. Stephanie Spellers, three titles before we even get to her name. Uh, and uh, she is the uh, the canon to the presiding bishop of uh, of the Episcopal Church, uh, presiding bishop Michael Curry. Her focus is on evangelism, reconciliation, and stewardship creation. Those the the three main points of the uh, the Episcopal Church. So, let's bring her on, Can Reverend Canon Doctor Stephanie Spellers. You said it. <laughs> How are you, sister? Good morning, and welcome to a priest and a rabbi. Uh, good morning from Harlem, my brothers and faith. Um, how y'all doing? Super. We, we were great. We're, we're, we're happy to have you here. And we know you got your hands full of a lot of stuff that's going on. But you, you, work, you work side by side with, with Bishop Michael Curry. And so for those who are not familiar with the Episcopal Church, and I know you're probably sick of hearing this, uh, Reverend Stephanie, but uh, many from the rest outside the Episcopal Church will know Bishop Michael Curry as the royal wedding priest. So that is who uh, Reverend Stephanie works side by side with. But uh, now that we're kind of at this moment in our country again, where we're all staring. Sorry, can we can we can we just backtrack a little bit? Can we can we just um, <laughs> kind of parse that word, um, uh, Reverend Stephanie, with your title of canon? What is what does that mean? I mean, I know what it means biblically in terms of a a, a canon of material that we have, but what 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 what, what What's the role and, and, and terminology that's used? I mean, is it is it a common word that's used within the Episcopal Church? You know, our, our church loves to create words for things that already had words. So, <laughs> you know, like when we're when we're in worship, we we take a perfectly good plate and we're like, that's actually a patent. 
And when we have <laughs> napkins at the, at the communion table, we say, that's not a napkin, that's a purificator. So a canon is simply um, a senior leader who serves, um, who serves just under a bishop. Um, another way of thinking of it is that a canon is um, is sort of you know like if you've got a canon you're like you you like light it and you boom and it sends forth something, um, and so canons kind of go forth on behalf of a bishop. Um, so I I like to say that being a canon means I get to go boom a lot so, on behalf of the bishop. <laughs> and is that ju ju just for my own my own uh, interest? I mean, is it is it a title that is earned? Is it a title that one just is given out of respect? Is it one that you know there's study and interaction and um, um, status, or is it or is it more just a, a honorific title? Um, no, it's, it's definitely not just honorific. Um, you you are asked to be a canon by a bishop. Um, so, so for some of us, it's our job. So like I am presiding Bishop Michael Curry has three canons who are kind of like his VPs for, for the areas that he and the church have identified as most important. Um, you know, before that I was a canon in one of the dioceses here in New York. Um, and, and so I worked directly under a bishop and he had like four canons. Um, so, so yeah, so sometimes a canon is, is, you know, like is your job and sometimes it sometimes it is, you know, like an honorary kind of position, but, um, yeah, among Episcopalians, like I, I like to say, like, if I were talking to Roman Catholics, you might think of a canon kind of like a Monsignor. Okay. Um, so for some people that may flag it as well, but, um, you know, it's, 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 it's an honor. It's um, it's a responsibility, and um, and it means that I got to be in sync with the bishop I'm working with. And there's no bishop that I'd rather be in sync with more than Michael Curry, um, who's all about love. Mm. So I get to be a canon for love, and that's that's a good life. Mm. Have you ever ever got done with a sermon or a speech and just gone boom because you're a canon? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you guys, you guys just I thought you knew me, man. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want I just wanted to bring the rabbi into knowing you. Even yeah, okay, there you go. Yeah. It's like um, sometimes, sometimes you just gotta go boom. Boom, <laughs> boom. You know who I am. It says at the at the beginning of my name. Exactly. So, what were you expecting? Come on. Now. <laughs> so what's life like for you knowing that reconciliation is part of the focus? I know it's a huge piece of what uh, uh um Bishop Curry's about um, yeah. the last four weeks. Which, what's your life been like? Ooh, Lordy mercy, um, it's been it's been a roller coaster. Uh, I mean, some of some of it's been exhilarating. So many people who have been on the fence have officially fallen off the fence, and they're like, "Okay, we get it. We get it. Um, you know, we get that racial justice matters to all of us." We get that this isn't just something for black people. I am black, by the way, like it's radio. You don't know that. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, Ed Michael Curry is our first black presiding bishop of the whole Episcopal Church nationally, internationally. Um, so, so yeah, so like for, for many of us, this has been pretty close to the front of our, our hearts and at the top of our list of just the things we are passionate for for a while. It's amazing to see so many other people, so many Americans, so many moderate folk, you know, who are kind of stepping out and saying, oh yeah, this actually isn't about politics. 
This is simply, this is actually about being American. Um, so being able to, to help to resource those folks um, has been exciting. You know, our websites are, you know, are getting lots of traffic in the areas where we are providing, um, providing guidance to people of faith who want to live out their faith by, by hitting the streets um, or by calling their legislators um, or by working with local police departments where they are. So we're trying to help folks to do that in a way that's, that's faithful, um, that's, that, that honors the values and the hopes that, that God has placed in us and guided us toward. Uh, we believe that those have everything to do with public life. And um, so my job and the job of a lot of the team that I work with is just to make sure folk have what they need so that they can engage and make this world better. So what does that look like on any given day? Are you just on Zoom calls all day? Or are you also do you get out in the streets? But I know that's limited because of COVID. So right. is, is, it, yeah. is, is a lot just from your own house or how, how does it work? Yeah, a lot is from home. I live in Harlem, uh, you know, the, the historic black neighborhood in, in New York City. Um, which is actually a wonderful multicultural, just bubbling pot. And um, so on, on any given day, you know, I can look out my, I'll stand out on my tiny balcony and, and sometimes I see protests go by and, and I've put on my collar and run down to the street and joined in. Mm -hmm. uh, so sometimes that's what's happening. And, and I got to tell you, it's like, it feels amazing because probably because of COVID, we've all been inside and, you know, kind of raising our fists and being like, ah, and so to be able to go out to the street and be with people, is, um, especially for that purpose, like not just to randomly hang out, but to be out there for the purpose of protest, I have found to be really life-giving. Um, it's, it's like our bodies have to, have to express these truths and we, they become, I don't know, I just, it's, I feel it more when I'm in my body and when I'm out there with a community. So it's meant a lot to me and I think a lot to other people to be able to go out to the street, socially distant, or at least physically distant, socially completely connected. Um, but, uh, but yeah, to go out there, I've got my mask on, I've, I'm doing the distancing, you know, we've got hand sanitizer, so <laughs> but, um, but, but we're present and it's making a difference. Uh, for on, on any other day, you know, or during the day, I might be, I'm doing a lot of writing um, so I'm a writer, I'm an author. So some of what I try to do is to write things that help to make these issues more plain for people of faith. Uh, we are, we're also just creating resources. So even right now, you know, we have on the episcopalchurch.org website, you know, people can click from our homepage and find a whole set of resources we've put together called Learn, Pray, Act. And the idea is that there are three things that people of faith could really engage if they want to make a difference. And one of those things is learn. So we've cultivated and kind of curated a, a set of, um, you know, films you can watch, books you can read, articles you can read, um, you know, and, and just ways for people to do their learning about racial justice, healing, police violence and brutality. But then there's also pray, because for us, that's got to be a part of it, right? Um, you know, like we, we, we don't just talk, we pray. We, we, we have that conversation with God. We ask God to be present, to be, to be powerful, to be a force for good, and to make us a force for good. So we've created a lot of resources and brought together resources so that folk 
can pray as they believe. And, um, and it's been beautiful to invite folk to share those prayers. And so we've got a whole section of that website with those resources and ACT. Uh, and I, I got to give it up to our, you know, there's a group we call the Episcopal Public Policy Network. And, um, and they are right on top of this, just issued on, I think on Tuesday of this week, you know, an incredible guide, like nine things that people of faith can do if they want to make a difference. So yes, marching is one of those things, but it's not the only one, um, you know, like that people of faith can, can be contacting our members of Congress, contacting state legislators, learning about law enforcement, contacting our mayors and sheriff's offices, doing anti-racism training or racial healing training. Um, you know, other Episcopal organizations are hosting sessions on what we call reimagining police. And, um, and so there are so many ways for folk to engage. Again, being on the street is an important way. To me, it's an energizing thing to do, but, but you got to back it up with a lot of other action. And we're trying to let people know what that action looks like. That's great. I, I was at a uh, march a couple weeks ago and I, the march was wonderful and everyone was all enthused, just, just exactly what you were saying. Everyone's jazzed, everyone's hyper energy and it was a really great turnout. And then the guy said, you know, this is the easy part. Yeah. The easy part's just showing up, holding yeah. up a sign. Well, you know, I, sure, it's hot out here and blah, blah, blah. But he's like, now you got to go do the work. And that, that takes energy mm -hmm. and time and commitment, yeah. uh, especially when you, when, you, when you get some pushback. So, right. uh, so, so speaking of pushback, you know, part of, one of the things we want to talk about today was, so there's, there's the movement within faith community. So the rabbi's doing the work at the temple. We're doing work over at St. Mary's. There's churches and temples and mosques all doing this work, good work, faith work. But then there's at, at the, the milieu at large, right, is, is you can say there's been a, there's a, a worldwide, but definitely here in the country movement, that uh, three, three words can really sum it up and really can, can galvanize folks. And that's Black Lives Matter. And, and so we were all talking about this yesterday on the phone call, how you were saying, so there's Black Lives Matter has been around. It's been here for a minute. Uh, now it's just, now it's becoming more mainstream and, and branded. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and now it's something you see on Amazon Prime and Netflix when you show up, right? Right, right. Um, <laughs> has, what is that like now? All the great work you all are doing with Learn, Pray, Act, all the different resources. How does that work? Does that go side by side? with the Black, Black Lives Matter movement? It is, all, is it all the same? Is there some things you keep distant from? How, how does that work? Uh, I mean, it's, to me, it's all one movement. Um, it's like saying, you know, are you a part of the civil rights movement or something else? You know, like there are a lot of different approaches that are necessary. Um, you need the folk who are on the street. You need the folk who are pushing hard in state legislatures. You need folk who are pushing federally. You need folk who are praying and teaching. Um, you need folk who are, who are going to, I mean, like for instance, one of the things we're doing is we host these groups called Sacred Ground, uh, which is designed by a, a white woman who's a filmmaker, an Episcopal filmmaker. And, you know, like she picked out several films where essentially white people can learn about race and can talk to each other about race, which is a huge thing that has to happen. Um, so, so for a lot of, I think we've got like now 400 of these groups across the country, which is amazing to me. Um, 
and it's white people talking to white people about race. So that has to happen, like all of these pieces hook together for lasting change of hearts and of structures. So you can't have one without the other. So to me, I like I personally have been on the street and and also been organizing for Black Lives Matter since I think I think the it started right after um, George Martin. Yeah, right after George Zimmerman was acquitted of the um, the murder of Trayvon Martin in Florida. And um, so that was in 2013. And I, I feel like, yeah, I think I've been, I've been working in this decentralized movement probably since like 2014. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I, I know it to be an important way of engaging, building community and, um, and it is weird now, I will say, <laughs> because as we were discussing kind of earlier, guys, I feel like now it's become a brand and that was never the intention, you know, and, and now it's become a target, which was also never the intention. Um, that you know, Black Lives Matter is something, to me, it's something you believe, it's not something you join, mm. but mm. it is what it is now. Mm. So what do you mean like it's become a target? Uh, well, I mean, I, I honestly believe, you know, there are folks who, who, and we have to be honest about this, it's America, there are folk who have never wanted to see black people or other people of color be treated as full citizens. Um, you know, allowed to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in this country. Um, there's There have always been forces. In fact, there have been prevailing forces that have wanted to prevent people of color from experiencing life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in, the, in this country. That's just a given. Um, and, it, and it continues to this day. So, um, so now those folks and those forces have chosen Black Lives Matter as their target. Where it's like, mm -hmm. if we can just take away the support for Black Lives Matter, then we can, we can slow this movement. Because the movement is building steam. It happens so quickly uh, around the world, not just here in America. But it seems, it seems as if, if, if I can undermine the message or the right. organization. Exactly. What in fact I'm really doing is I'm negating Black lives. Precisely. And that's what I'm saying is that there are forces that have wanted to, to negate black lives and other lives of color. Mm -hmm. And so what they figured out, cause they're smart. These systems have been around for a long time and they're smart. They figured out that if we can, if we can discredit black lives matter, then we slow this movement and we ensure, and I just take a deep breath cause I'm going to go there that uh, these forces, their goal is not simply to, to negate black lives mm -hmm. or to engage in anti-blackness as my friend Kelly Brown Douglas puts it, um, but to ensure white flourishing. Mm -hmm. So hear me on that, like to ensure white flourishing. I don't know that it's only about hating black people, but I do believe that, that there is, that these forces are united by their desire to ensure white flourishing. Do you think it's a conscious, a conscious intention, or it's just like kind of built into the fabric of being of being an American sometimes. That's just it's always been ingrained that this is, you know, do you think that some folks be like, we just need to flourish? And so this thing needs to go down. Right, right. Yeah. I, do, I, do you think I, it's a conscious decision? I think 
it's, I think it's, it's, it's both. Um, I mean, I, of course there's some conscious decision to it. Um, you know, like when, when someone, when a group of people sit in a room saying, how do we discredit Black Lives Matter? Um, which is how they've come up with these talking points around, well, you know, the money you give to Black Lives Matter is actually going toward these political goals and this is this and that, you know, like, so someone had to sit and create those talking points. So yes, there's, there's conscious decision making going on. But I think it's rooted in, um, in, in the DNA of our country, mm -hmm. you know, that our, our country from, from before we were a nation, America has, has existed for the purpose of kind of creating a flourishing space for white people or for European people who had migrated to, to, this, to this colony. Um, before they were even white, you know, <laughs> um, and so so that's you know that's why it was okay to kill Native Americans and to take from them what they actually would have given willingly, um, you know, because white or European flourishing was the purpose. You know, back in 1452, I'm I'm going to geek out. That's what canons do. But uh, but back oh. in 1452, I think this is important for people to know. Um, there were, there was a series of papal declarations, papal bulls that together are called the doctrine of discovery. Have you guys ever heard of this? The doctrine of discovery? It was, it was given by the, by the Pope. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So by papal, exactly. It's something that was issued by the Pope. Um, and so there were a series of these declarations from the Pope, um, in the 1450s that, that together said that, European explorers were free and were actually blessed by God to go out and to discover these lands. And if they found on these lands people who were not Christian, then they were blessed in doing whatever was necessary to those people to remove them and take the land. This is critical, y'all. Right. So people bulls, these, these church declarations sent forth explorers telling them it's okay to kill Native Americans because they're not Christian. And this land has to be taken for the church for, for Christian purposes, which at that time were European purposes, white purposes. Um, you, it's okay to go to Africa and to take and take and to enslave those peoples um, and bring them to these colonies so that, so that wealth could be built for Europe. Um, like that's what we were founded for. That's what it means to be a colony. Mm -hmm. um, is that you are a wealth producing center for that for that that originating community, that empire. Um, so we as Americans don't like to think of ourselves as a part of that, but um, but that that was our founding, and it's in our DNA that we are committed to white flourishing. Um, so it's it's. And that's not that's not about black power. That's not about hating white people, you know, um, like at all. Like I serve a church. The Episcopal Church is about ninety percent white, so I love white folk, you know. <laughs> um, and 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 I love being I love working with white folk toward God's great purposes. But we also have to understand the context, and the context is that this country um, was created for and still lives out a purpose that's pretty much dedicated to the flourishing of white folks. And that's why we have to say Black Lives Matter, because they haven't mattered 
in America. Yeah, oh, this is uh, no, no, just well put. And I, I think quite simply is that we see, you know, you hear a lot because the response a lot of times is, well, yeah, but don't all lives matter? And it's like, yes, they do, but we're not seeing that yet. So all lives can't matter until until Black Lives Matter because, to your point, we have witnessed or this country has witnessed from inception that they don't. And we talked about this yesterday. Even on the on the books, they were three fifths. They were they were three fifths of a human being. Exactly. Uh, uh, black. So there was there was it codes was and laws. Ever, it was decided. Like like people have to know this that the courts decided that a black person was three fifths of a human being. We haven't made this up. We're not angry and whatever. We are simply naming what has been true in America, that you can't have a group of people who were three fifths of a human being, you know, in, you know, in a previous century, and then expect that, that that's not still in the water, that's not still in the structures. And then when we see a police officer with his knee on the neck of a black man for eight minutes and 46 seconds, you begin to understand that, oh, if that's three fifths of a human being, mm -hmm. then this wasn't a problem. Yeah, so, we, so we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back, we're gonna pick up right there. Of, so what does this mean now in 2020 as, as Reverend Stephanie just wonderfully kind of brought, brought together the history uh, <laughs> within like five, seven minutes, that was amazing. And, and now what does this mean for us now in 2020 and keep on parsing out, so why do black, why do black lives matter? Uh, why does that matter? right here and now so now we have a, we have a bit of the backstory we're going to go into now present day so let's take a quick break we'll be right back um with reverend canon dr stephanie spelt i just love saying that <laughs> You're listening to a priest and a rabbi podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and please leave a rating and a review, five-star rating and a positive review if you can. We certainly appreciate it. That is the best way to make sure that others out there just like you can find this podcast. If you want to get in contact with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin, you can do so by emailing a priest and a rabbi at gmail.com. And the absolute best way to get a hold of the fellas is to call into the radio show. This podcast airs live on the radio every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on WSTU 1450. And you can listen live online at WSTU1450.com. And if you want to join the show, you can call in to 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-WSTU. Hey, everyone. This is Father Christian here on A uh, Priest and a Rabbi. So happy for you to be here on this podcast with us. And, and I want to uh, let you know that I have uh, started a uh, YouTube channel called Your Favorite Christian. And you can check it out on YouTube. And uh, every Monday, I drop a new episode. And it's always through the lens of faith, but taking on different topics such as dating, relationships, marriage, pop culture. Uh, I've done one recently where I went out to the art show and talked about how do we find our relationship with God through all the what all the latest artists are doing. Um, last week was what do women really want 
um, in a man uh, and interviewing different people to be a part of that. So uh, please check that out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share, uh, put on the notifications so you get that every Monday. Um, I also want to let you know of uh, we this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a generous donor from St. Mary's Episcopal Church who wishes to remain anonymous. All he asked, though, was that um, the information gets out that St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart has a healing center. And so you can call if you're looking for a counselor, someone to be there for you during a challenging time. And you can call the church at 772-287-3244. We also have a group of Stephen ministers who have been trained over 50 hours of training to be with you and walk with you during a time of crisis. They are not counselors. They are trained just to be more of the presence um, of, of Christ or and, and walk with you during a time of crisis, whether it's a, a good crisis of having, oh my gosh, my daughter's about to get married, or if there's something a little bit heavier. So give us a call, 772-287-3244, and I thank that anonymous donor who uh, makes this all possible. All right, God bless you, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Well, welcome back, everyone, to A Priest and a Rabbi. My name is Father Christian, and with me, of course, is the wonderful Rabbi Matthew Durbin. Matthew Durbin, you ready for part two of our show? I'm ready. Lives Matter Matters? I'm, 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 I'm ready. Okay. All right, man. Holding it down. So with us today, if you're just tuning in, uh, is uh, Reverend Stephanie Spellers uh, uh, phoning in all the way from Harlem, and uh, she... Does. She looks oversees a lot of things for the Episcopal Church. One of them is reconciliation uh, and racial reconciliation. So her hands are full now with, with what's happening in the world, especially right here in the country. And we just got done talking about how we got to today. What is in the water, per se, of, of, of our culture as Americans? What's in our fabric and our DNA uh, that would lead to this moment where we're at? To get to this moment where you see George Floyd being pinned down for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And, and so what we really came to the conclusion was that Stephanie let, let us through was that the, a, uh, this, it's in our DNA to be, we have sort of, not sort of, the, the culture and the growth and development of America has been set up and legally set up were to see a, a class of people, to see a group of people as less than human. Uh, and that was something that was on the books. That was something that was legal. Uh, and so if someone's on the book said you're three fifths of a human being, uh, we will let, let's track that and say, okay, so how do we get to a place where George Floyd could be murdered um, so viciously, so openly, so casually? Well, I think what we're saying here is it's, it's, it's still in our DNA. And I think as, at least as, um, as Christians, and Rabbi, I don't know if you say this as, um, from a Jewish perspective, it kind of lines up to still this, this, the big sin that we're still reeling with and dealing with. Um, there's still a sin. The sin is still in the water that we're reeling with as Americans. Uh, and so now, how, what's the next step, Reverend Stephanie, with, we, we can maybe identify it and um, do you see though, let's just see, let's start here. That whole track that you just took us in the first half of the show. Yeah. Do you, when, you, when you talk and you go and you, uh, and you teach about this, do you get pushback at all? People like, ah, I don't know. I think you might be stretching the truth here or you're being a little dramatic or, or you're, you know, you're creating your narrative. Have you ever gotten that kind of pushback? 
Oh, of course, of course. Uh, I mean, the the American narrative is this exceptional narrative where you know we are the the land of the free, the home of the brave. We are the the nation you know founded so that all people could pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, so there's there's a whole um, you know a narrative, and what's amazing is that it's true. Um, it's true, and that's why Frederick Douglass you know could could write in his time, um, which was not recent, by the way, but he's sorry. Um, but Frederick Douglass could write, um, you know, what does the 4th of July mean to the Negro? And in it, he writes the most beautiful, um, just celebration really of American values and American hope and says like, America, please be this, be all the things you said you would be America. Like we can't wait for you to live into it and we will work for it. Um, you know, like a black person was the first to die in the, in the, in the revolutionary war. Um, you know, like we have, we have fought and bled, you know, next to our brothers and sisters in every war that Americans have fought. Like we, we are in, we are in for America being America, you know, being what, uh, do y'all remember being in school and having to learn that Emma Lazarus poem, the one that's on the Statue of Liberty, um, the, new, is it the new Colossus, mm -hmm. um, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shores. Send these, the homeless tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. We sang that when I was in middle school in Kentucky. I grew up in Kentucky. Um, I remember we sang that. I still have that song in my head, y'all, and I still get weepy um, when I when I think about what America is supposed to be, what America on her best days has been. I just want her to live into that. I desperately want America to live into what America said she'd be. And, and it breaks my heart when we're not that. And I hope... I, again, I think that a part of what we're seeing with the swiftness of this, of the, the turn in America around Black Lives Matter is people saying, wait, of course Black Lives Matter. Of course we never want to see another, another video like George Floyd um, or Ahmaud Arbery <laughs> or Breonna Taylor or, um, you know, um, Eric Garner or Michael Brown or Sandra Bland. I mean, like it's it's such a long list. Good God. Um, but Americans, like to be American is at once to be in a nation founded for the purpose of white flourishing, but also to be in a nation that has said, bring everybody who's been kicked out of anywhere. You come here and you will be, you will be made whole. You come here and you can be a part of the big project. Um, you come here and if you work hard, you'll you'll you could win. Um, like that's that's America has two narratives, and it's always at war with itself about which one we'll pursue. Um, I long for us living into that that dream of God and the dream of freedom. I love my country. Yeah. I love my country. Right, 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 right. So much. I want her to be what she's always supposed to be. 
So how, so, so now that this is a, a, this is the, the, the movement is happening, yeah. right? um, how is this sustainable? I've wondered about that. You know, whenever I see people jumping on board really fast, I, I get nervous because I wonder like, will this sustain? Is this hot now? And it will cool. Um, I think it's sustainable if we engage in the policy work, first of all. Um, it's sustainable if, if we're really in, engaging in reimagining policing, if we're engaging in serious criminal justice reform, if we're engaging in immigration reform, because let's be clear, you know, the attacks on immigrants and refugees are part of how racism in America plays out. You know, that it's the effort to reduce the number of, of Latinos and other um, communities of color in this country. You know, so it's all connected. But um, so, so I think it sustains when we see those connections, guys. Um, it sustains when we, um, when we pursue change in our laws, but it also sustains when especially white parents have the talk with their white children and children of different races um, that they may be raising. Um, when white parents see understanding race as a part of, um, and talking about race as a part of just how you raise your kids. You know, that parents of color have been talking to our kids about race. We have to, so they would survive. But I know a lot of folks, you know, white people who are like, well, we just teach our children to see everyone, you know, the same and not to see color. I'm like, that's not helping. <laughs> like your children think that when they talk about race, they must be talking about something bad because you get nervous whenever it comes up, white parents. So please, white parents, get comfortable. Talk about race with your kids. Talk about race at the dinner table. Um, make it just a part of life not something to avoid, you know, race is not the problem. Racism is the problem. Um, so you can talk about race and actually God, like God did create us with wonderful diversity. God actually did create us with all of these colors and just extraordinary perspectives and stories. So I feel like churches shouldn't be, and, and temples and communities of faith shouldn't be running from race. We should be embracing the conversation about race just as a part of celebrating what God has made. So can we make it normal? Can we make it not something to avoid? Not a problem. Don't problematize race, problematize racism. So I think that as people make that a part of their daily lives, as people examine, like, look at your circle. Like, look at your circle, both of you. Look at your circles and look at, are there people of color around you? Um, I know for at least one of you, there's yeah, there are people of color right there in your household. Thanks be to God. Um, so, but look around and see your friend circles. Notice the people you work with. Notice the people you socialize with. Um, like, are we a part of each other's lives? Notice the people in your neighborhood. You know, they're still like, <laughs> I know there's still redlining that goes on because eight years ago I bought an apartment here in New York. And um, like, and I got to tell you, when I put in my application, this is real, y'all, real talk. I put in my application for a loan in one neighborhood. 
Um, and and I had because I'd been looking at an apartment in the neighborhood and it was kind of, a you know, it was more centrally located in Brooklyn. Um, and then I was like, oh, shoot, like that application actually had the wrong address on it. I meant to put in for this other place that I was looking at. And when I when all we did was change the address, nothing else in my application had changed, just the address, the rate, the interest rate that they were offering me went up. It went sure. up. And that was because the exact same person applying to live in a majority black neighborhood um, was going to be like I was going to essentially be penalized. Um, so let's not pretend that all of these things don't still operate. Look at your neighborhood and wonder for yourself if you don't see very many people of color, wonder for a moment, why is that? Like, are people of color kind of shoved more towards certain neighborhoods? Um, and then, um, and then charged more for living in dangerous neighborhoods. Um, all of this is still operative. Get to know these structures. They're there. Um, and if we can make plain what has been hidden, then we can start to work on it together. It's hard work. It is. It's hard work. And it's why we need each other. It's why, you know, it's why I get so excited when I see white folk in the street. Um, like I was, I was a part of a protest here in New York last week and um, was marching and I looked around and, you know, there, it was probably like maybe 25, 30% people of color, good, like, you know, 70% or so were white folks and my heart sang. And these were not folk who were just coming running because something was happening. They were coming because they believe in the same kind of America that I believe in. And they want to make that they want to make that America reality. And so they were coming out and I loved it. Oh, people were coming out of their buildings here in Harlem. You know, a lot of folk of color, a lot of black folk were coming out of our buildings with our phones recording this march of mostly white people passing through. We were putting up our fists and just saying, thank you. So like we have to do this together. And like the more white people I hear calling out Black Lives Matter, the happier I get. The more I see white folk engaging this work for the long term, I get even more joy. So, so when, so let's talk about the shouting out Black Lives Matter. So, Rabbi Durbin and I are in a part of the country where uh, that can be sometimes taken, uh, can be contentious. Right. Yeah. So I hear from folks of like, ah, I don't know, Black Lives Matter, that's that organization. I mean, I, I'm all for the cause, but the organization itself, they're fascist, they're anarchists, they uh, want to just just get rid of all the police. So that that's a narrative, whether it's you know, it's a false narrative, but it's there, it's present. So to the point of that as a church, if we were going to start using that term a lot more, uh, let's just say with promotion and wanting to really allow our flock to know about here's how these things going on in the community and and most of the time it's through black lives matter uh, we would have to really sit down and first have some now right now online symposiums and be like okay let, let's let's flesh this out because we know there are there are some narratives about black lives matter that might have a lot of people on ice and not be happy or right. fearful and so we, we would have to do the, all that work first and almost like well during the time of COVID and, and when we could do that online and we really like to do it in person, there's also one point of like, do we just not use that term at all? So we don't, so we don't lose people, but still do the work. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and if that is a choice, um, 
do you think that is doable or do you think, no, you got to go do the work first and first see why are people having such a negative reaction to uh, Black Lives Matter in that term? I, th I think we got to do both um, because, as I was saying earlier, the this organized resistance to Black Lives Matter is a part of the resistance to work for justice, healing, and equality. So you have to understand that that's what's going on there, that folk, folk who say, well, um, you know, like, well, I don't, I don't want to say Black Lives Matter. And actually, you know, they are this, this, you know, they're basically Antifa or they're this or they're that, you know, that that's, that is work to discredit a movement for justice, healing and reconciliation. So see it for what it is. Um, so if you allow it to win, if you allow that, that resistance to control the narrative, then you're actually not going to be able to go as far in the work of healing and justice. Mm. So that's that's real. So so I think it is important for congregations, for communities to have conversation about. So why why would we say Black Lives Matter? Um, I just pulled up on a, on Facebook. I, one of my cousins had posted this this little image of a little girl, beautiful little black girl, holding a sign. And I wish everybody could see this right now, but I'm just going to quickly read it to you. Because to me, I feel like I want to show people this sign and then say, discuss. And here's what's on the sign. It says, we said Black Lives Matter. Never said only Black Lives Matter. We know all lives matter. We just need your help with hashtag Black Lives Matter because Black lives are in danger. And so like, and when you see the sign, like each of those, those alternate phrases is kind of highlighted. So it's like, I know all lives matter. That's, that's, but that's not being contested. That's not the issue. All lives are not in jeopardy. Black lives and native lives and Latino lives um, are, being, are being snuffed out before our very eyes. So if someone, like, we have to have that conversation about why in this moment do we need to be proactive in naming the value of Black lives and other lives of color? And we have to be proactive because in the absence of that proactive movement, these lives are being snuffed out. So it's, <laughs> so we have to have that conversation. Yeah. And we have to do the work. Like, honestly, if somebody's really just dead set, if they're like, I will not, cannot, absolutely will not say Black Lives Matter, I'm like, well, then what will you do? What will you do? How will you make the system better? How will you engage in racial healing, justice, and reconciliation? You tell me your plan. You tell me how you are going to be working with the police departments across this land. You tell me how you're going um, to have small groups of white folk doing their work together. You tell me how you're gonna eliminate redlining and, um, and segregation in your housing and in your schools. And, and if you've got a plan for all of that, that doesn't use Black Lives Matter, honestly, like then God bless you, I'm with you. But usually folk who are saying, you know, who are really stuck on, but I will not say Black Lives Matter, You'll you'll quite often find that allied with, and I also will not do this work. Mm -hmm. So you got to see it for what it is. Right, right. As um, as you know, it's it's just it, it's really powerful. Um, 
you know, to hear your words and your thoughts, because they are very reminiscent of, uh, you know, in Jewish tradition. Yes. We have a very impactful and very stern warning um, in our tradition that says you are not obligated to complete the work, but you are not free to desist from it. Mm. That we're all in it together. And although even in this challenge with Black Lives Matter, right, can I complete the work? Probably not. But I'm not free to stop working towards the ultimate goal. Right. So there is work to be done. And Reverend Stephanie, we are so grateful that uh, you took the time out of the great work to be done to come here and share uh, up on the uh, on this radio show. Can you can you please tell our audience if they want to find out more about you or more of these resources? Where, 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 where can they go? I know you got some books out as well. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, honestly, I would drive work. To, I would drive folk toward um, EpiscopalChurch.org and look for the um, you know the box for responding to racist violence, and they'll find those resources for learn, pray, and act. Um, if, if folk can go there, they'll find so many ways to be active in their communities, to be faithful, whatever their tradition might be, um, and, and to be a part of the work for justice, healing, and reconciliation, which is truly the American project. Yeah, awesome. Well, you, you, you're fantastic, and we'll be praying for you, sister, and uh, pray for us, uh, for us to do the, to do the good work, and uh, thank you. Thank you for being uh, on the show. We really do appreciate it. Go forth in love. There's no other way to go. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Reverend Stephanie. All right, Rabbi. Well, that's another show in the bucket, and uh, it's, uh, it's time to get to work, huh? Time to get to work. You know, and we didn't even mention this. It's Juneteenth. So what a day to start and to officially uh, uh, to, to, to continue and to uh, commemorate this work. So there is a Juneteenth celebration today at 11 a.m. in downtown Stewart and another one tonight at 6.30. Uh, so check Facebook for that. Uh, we are a priest and a rabbi and you are an awesome guest and we are going to see you all next week here uh, on 1450 a.m. or on the podcast, A Priest and a Rabbi. Bye-bye.